0: The reading is Exodus. It's um, chapter
1: 21,
0: verse 6 to 22. Oh, chapter 1. Yeah, that's right. I hope so. Yeah, no, chapter 1. Okay. And it's on page 58 in the Church Bibles. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptian used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him, but if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Speak to God. Thanks, Adam do keep that passage uh, open in front of you um, and uh, we're going to have a little think about it. i was saying to one or two before the service that I need to um, I need to make something clear right at the beginning uh, of this sermon which is that um, I planned uh, this sermon which really is talking about when Christians might be called to acts of civil disobedience long before this week Uh, And what I'm about to say isn't uh, a political comment uh, on our new government, um, or new prime minister, or really on anything uh, that is currently happening. You're going to have to join up the dots for yourself and what you feel God's calling you to. Um, But actually, this story of these two midwives um, who in this vast Egyptian empire, one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest empire the world has ever known, these two uh, women, uh, Shifra and Puah, uh, is both, ought to be both thrilling and challenging for any part of God's people today. For their actions, and actually their actions alongside or followed by the actions of Moses' mum, Moses' sister, and then Pharaoh's daughter, they speak of a willingness for otherwise small, insignificant, perhaps unnoticed people to own an allegiance above even the greatest empires that the world has ever known, to find an allegiance and a courage that comes not from where they belong in terms of geography or nation or race, but an allegiance that connects with the God who has made them and loves them, an allegiance that actually enables them to change the course of history. And, of course, you don't have to delve very far into history to realise that it is the little individuals along the way who make such a vast difference. It doesn't actually matter which bit of history you choose, whether you're into your modern history and you're looking at the Second World War or you're looking at changes in the the Soviet Union back in the 80s, or whether you're going much further back and you go into Tudor times or you go into the the Dark Ages or you go into sort of the prehistory or the Greeks or the Romans. It doesn't matter where you look. It is always, and in every case, little decisions, often made with tremendous courage and integrity, or sometimes the inverse of that, that make the big difference. And the fact is that the Bible says exactly the same. This big story of God's rescue from pretty much the first pages of Genesis to the very last pages of Revelation, at every single possible moment along the way, you find this astonishing truth. Here is the God who made the universe. Here is the God who sits on the throne of time and eternity. Here is the God whose very thought puts into being all of creation. And yet, or, and at the same time, his rescue is brought into being in every case by ordinary people like you and me. It's an astonishingly slender thread you'd imagine for God to hang such important things. For example, you've got Ruth. Ruth who chooses the friendship of Naomi. And without that choosing, you would have no family to end up with Jesus. You have Hannah who goes to the temple to pray for a child and who is willing to bear her soul before the priest, whom she hardly knows. And because of his prayer, because of her vulnerability and honesty, God gives her her son, Samuel, who is the one who then anoints King David. And you have David, the shepherd boy, the one who's anointed as king, but still has to have the courage in front of a whole army to go out and fight Goliath and use his skills as a shepherd boy with a stone and a sling. Or what about Esther? Esther, a young woman, completely out of place, effectively in slavery, to the king of a vast empire so far from home who chooses the courageous path not simply to save herself, because she was safe, she was the wife of the king, but to choose to save her people, who saved God's people from genocide. Now, I could go on, I literally could spend the next 15 minutes just talking about person after person after person after person after person if you like, from whom God seems to have been willing to hang the whole of his story at each point. There is this glorious grace of God who could do everything like this by himself, but chooses to use ordinary people like you, like me, to bring about his purposes, to give us choices and lives that make a difference, that make a real difference, that change the course of somebody's life, of a family's life, of a community's life. Sometimes the course of world history, because that's how God loves to work. It's not that God doesn't care and just leaves things to chance, that he's some sort of roulette player and loves the sort of thrill of chance. No, it's that actually God's ways are woven up with our ways. God chooses to be at work through us, not just over our heads. God chooses to partner with the very people that he's made. And one pair of those people are these astonishing women, Shifra and Puah, these two midwives in Egypt. And it's clear that they had something in common with women and men down through the ages amongst God's people, which is that far from simply having a clear sense of identity that came out of just a racial group, Uh, a sense of sexuality, or of gender, or of social class, or of nation, or even religion, they had a sense of allegiance to God, their maker. A sense of allegiance to the one who has set things in place, who has said there are things that are right, there are things that are wrong, there is a value on human life, even the life of a tiniest child whom Pharaoh has decided should die the value of that life is worth even more than saving my own, they say. Now, I labour the point of all of that a little bit, partly because that's really the big thing of what I want to say today, to actually say to you and to say to me, those are the lives that we're called to live, behind the scenes and out front, in public and in private, to make those choices of integrity and godliness, even when the world isn't watching, but especially when it is. And that God uses those choices for great good in his world. But I also labour the point because if you know your New Testament, you'll know that there's a little passage in the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the earliest Christians, that seems, on the face of it, to present a bit of a stinging rebuke to Shifra and to Pure. Let me read you just a few sentences from um, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Page 1140, if you want to follow it. Paul writes, now bear in mind, bear in mind, he wrote this at the time of the Roman Empire. And if I get my timings right, probably around the same time as Emperor Nero. Now, you don't need to watch many episodes of Horrible Histories uh, to know that Nero wasn't a terribly pleasant chap. Uh, he, he was a, an absolutely office trolley megalomaniac. Um, and actually, if you were a Christian or a Jew... Uh, you could easily end up, I'm sorry, I I'm, I'm suddenly realise I'm about to land in something fairly, fairly horrible via way of something a bit light-hearted. But he would turn Christians and Jews into human torches to, to light up his gladiatorial entertainment. Now, bear in mind, what you're about to hear is Paul writing in that context, okay? Paul writes, everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities, for, for there is no authority except that which God Has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, those who rebel against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. It's really important that we hold the whole of Scripture together, that we don't sit too comfortably with something in the Old Testament that's a really inspiring story and, you know, sort of half deliberately forget the fact that a few centuries later Paul is coming along and writing something that sounds like a wagging of the finger and a stinging rebuke against these two rebellious women who should have just done what the Pharaoh told them to do. So how do we hold these together? Well, at the heart of it is a question of allegiance. Allegiance. At the heart of it is a sense of identity. There is a sense of allegiance and identity that will at times take you down a route of civil disobedience, that will move people to overthrow rulers, that will move people to protest, that will move people to um, disobey law, to be out on the streets or occupying government buildings the Christian perspective is a radically but nuanced version of that. Because what it says is that our highest identity is not just to some human ideal or human aspiration. We aren't simply protesting because we have an ideal called democracy or because we have an ideal called human flourishing or because we have an ideal called human justice or because we believe every human is precious. Those are all true, and every Christian ought to be absolutely passionate about them. But for the Christian, the heart of our attitude to all human authority, as Paul makes very clear, is simply and only because God is king. And if God is king, then our attitude to all of those who have authority in human society is seen through his rule. And that means that when we are doing right, there is no terror for us. Now, I believe that what Paul means is that he would have looked at the life of Shifra and Puah; that he would have known better than you and I, and he would see that in their lives there was no terror for them in the face of Pharaoh's oppressive rule, because they had a higher allegiance. If you like, they feared God, they had no reason to fear Pharaoh. They would respect Pharaoh's authority in the sense that he had the right under God to punish them for what they had done wrong. But they would have no terror of that punishment because they were doing right in the eyes of the God who is king over all. Do you see here that this is very different from me setting myself up as being better or more right than some other human being? This is about me saying, I'm simply going to obey the king of the universe, the God who's made me, who loves me. For Shifra and for Puah, they were willing to say, the God who has made all people, the God who has made us, the God who has made each child that I help bring into the world, simply will not countenance the killing of this infant. Therefore, I will not. And therefore, the Pharaoh will hold no terror for me. Because I serve a higher king. Christians down through the ages have lived out that way of life. Those who opposed the Nazi regime during the Second World War, who were willing to say, I will give my life for this because I serve a higher king. Those who have campaigned for religious freedom, Those who are willing to campaign against modern-day slavery. Those who see great injustice in the impact that climate change is having on the poorest in our world. Who are willing to say, this is not about me. This is not about somehow I'm better or righter than a government or an individual. This is simply about me, with all integrity, serving the God who made me and loves me. A choice to rebel can very easily become a choice about making me feel better, giving myself a sense of identity. It's great to feel part of a movement. It's great to be part sometimes of a rebellion. But the Christian will always say it's not about me feeling part of something. It's not primarily about me feeling better. It's primarily about me living a life that is simply one of integrity, that I will not serve this particular tyranny. Because that holds no terror for me. Because I fear God. And it might be that you go through the whole of your life and God never asks you to rebel in that way. It might be that you feel you never have that moment when you need to do some act of civil disobedience, when you need to be lying down in front of something or occupying some building or marching in a march. But I promise you that every day of your life, as a follower of Jesus Christ you are called to little acts of good rebellion. Every single time you say that I will not be defined by the tyranny of consumerism, I will not be defined by what I have and what I own and the money in the bank, that's an act of good rebellion. Money, consumerism has no terror for you Because you choose to serve the great high king who says you are worth everything because I've given everything for you. But you are worth no more than the person next to you who has much less than you or is lower down the social scale or comes from a different part of the world. That is an act of rebellion. It's a good one. It means you have no terror of the thing that you're rebelling against. Or when the tyranny of culture says, I cannot miss out on the latest tweet or Snapchat or Instagram post, That fear of missing out, you say, I have no terror of that. Because I serve a greater king. I serve the God who says, each moment is precious and is given to you as a gift. And it's for you. You don't have to worry about anybody else's life and whether it's better than yours. You can learn the secret of being content with what I've given you. And actually, if we live lives of making those little acts of good rebellion, here's the remarkable thing. That if there comes a day when you or I have to take our courage in our hands and make those big, scary, maybe even life-threatening acts of rebellion, then we'll be able to do so because we've had the practice We've learned what it is to serve the great king of all kings, to allow our lives to be shaped by him, and to have no terror of any authority, of any tyranny, of any mark. So how do Christians prepare for those lives that make a difference in God's work of rescue? Well, the first is that we're to learn from the heroes of faith down through the centuries. Read the Bible. See these astonishing pictures of heroes of faith. Some of these beautiful, unnoticed stories round in the back pages, down the side alleyways of Scripture that you suddenly find actually are the path through which God's rescue came. Who at the time would have thought they were nothing and nobodies, but chose to rebel wisely. And in good. But also read the stories of the great women and men of faith down through the centuries. Read the likes of Bonhoeffer during the Second World War, Martin Luther King during uh, the the campaign for, for racial equality in the United States. Read those who have chosen to step out in faith, to be those who make a difference where they are. And choose, on a daily basis, to make those little acts of rebellion count. And to know that that's what they are. A final thought. Many of us here are parents. Many of us here are thinking all the time, gosh, how how on earth do I help my children, this next generation, to make a difference? And one of the things they're watching in our lives is who we serve, what we're terrified of, if you like, what we fear. And they pick up very quickly if our biggest fear is not having enough money or our biggest fear is our status being a bit too low or our biggest fear is what others think of us or our biggest fear is fitting in. The greatest thing that we can show any child of the next generation is that we serve the great high king of all kings and that therefore no other tyranny, no other rule, no other leader holds any terror for us because we serve a different king. Shiphrah and Pua did what they knew was right at great risk, as did Moses' mum and Moses' sister and actually in the end even Pharaoh's daughter was willing to do the same. You and I may never get written down in the annals of Christian history. You and I may never make it into the history books at all. But you will be making those little acts of godly rebellion every day. And the world will be different because you've done so. What might it be this week that will mean that you will live differently? Let's pray together as we pause, as we reflect on God's words. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the remarkable women and men of history. Thank you for the ways in which you use them to, uh, to make possible, actually, your story of rescue. Our prayer is that whether we are ever well-known for our uh, acts of godly rebellion or whether they are hidden in the pages of uh, sort of side streets of history, thank you that each one is precious to you and that each part of our life that we submit to the real king of all kings is precious to you and useful to you in the history of you rescuing this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.